0: level me <clears throat> good cough great cough good start <clears throat>
1: top tier cough i'm trying uh trying my german are <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> right, you ready yeah
0: For the the dangerous Low-Hanging Orchard in New York City, I'm your host Shane.
1: And I'm your host Ishan.
0: And welcome to episode 100 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and
1: players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're taking a break from our usual format to make some announcements and also answer your mailbag questions. Hey, it's episode 100, so cut us some slack. Later, we'll record our first and likely only
0: musical iTunes review. You may want to keep the fast forward button handy for that part. I know I
1: will. And finally, Baron Munchausen performs dubious feats of daring do in the character creation forge. So before we get into all the fun and festivities, uh, just
0: a reminder, the first three parts of the annotated history of Brand Talandro is up on Tribality. Uh, thank you to Sean Ellsworth from Tribality for letting us do that, and to Quinn Wilson for providing some awesome artwork.
1: We'll have a bit more information on that later in the episode. Uh, Also, fair warning, if this is the first episode of Total Party Thrill that you've ever listened to, try starting with episode 99 first. Uh, That's really more representative of our usual format and, quite honestly, quality such as it is. Yeah, given that we have to perform a musical review at the end of this episode, we have
0: already started drinking, so this is going to be a little light and loose.
1: This is actually, I think this is only the second episode where we have been drinking while recording. Episode 1 we drank... And that took forever. Yeah, that one we had to record like six times <laughs> every <eat>. every passage. <laughs> and it needed so much editing. And this time we are also drinking.
0: Yeah, but this time we're going to lightly edit it so you can enjoy how terrible we are. Uh, we've also only lightly prepared. There's a couple questions where we had to do a little bit of background research before we could give a good answer. But we've mostly not prepared answers, so it's going to be pretty off the cuff.
1: Yeah, we're trying to shoot from the hip because I think that's really what people expect from us.
0: And also, it's episode 100. We're taking one off. (laughs) Also, it's going to be a long one, so strap in. Yeah, we're just bail now. (laughs) so speaking of episode 100 uh, this is first and foremost a thank you to everybody who has been involved and everybody who listens and everybody who supports us you you guys are amazing Um, and i especially want to give a shout out to michael from the rpg academy who was my first friend in the podcasting community and gave me my first chance to speak into a microphone for other people to hear on the internet and
1: then he also had the decency to edit out all of my nervous ums yeah it's something that we haven't been doing right (laughs) also i believe he was uh the first one to believe in you as a podcaster probably long before i believed in you as a podcaster that's almost certainly true (laughs) he he was on our short list of people who previewed the first episode and
0: was like uh i think he got something here but maybe fix some stuff right
1: like the
0: hosts yeah (laughs) (laughs) also we've recorded like literally 99 out of 100 episodes on his equipment or his old equipment uh that that he was kind enough to sell to us so
1: very at a very reasonable price at a very affordable rate it, it, for getting so, started so he said yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and he has been kicking himself ever since so i'm sure we're gonna get a message please do not associate me with this <laughs> yeah yeah but
0: We don't have time to give individual thank yous to everybody who's been involved but but for michael seriously thank you very much uh we would not be here without you
1: we also want to thank all of you who have listened to us throughout a hundred episodes we know it's been a chore and a slog but thanks for sticking it out with us yeah we've had a couple good ideas surrounded by a lot of filler (laughs) so (laughs) thank you for suffering through that yeah anyone who downloads the show shares it with a friend writes us a review on itunes emails us tweets us retweets us shares our posts on Facebook, or wears our t-shirts, probably inside out. Yeah, whether we chat with you every week, or you write us one email in an emergency. Whether you have been listening since 2015, or you've just finished binging the entire back catalog, I don't know if you know, but there are, in fact, 99 episodes. Uh, Plus an episode zero. Oh, yeah. So this is actually episode 100.25. Sort of. Well, we recorded episode zero twice, so. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you've just found us and this is, um, as we warned you not to do, the first episode that you've ever listened to, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for, for making us a part of your gaming experience. So we've been promising you an announcement and, well, here it is. After two solid years of Funding all of this on our own and just sort of throwing money into the void. Uh, We are announcing that we are finally unveiling a Patreon account. Yeah, we've been asked about this for a long time. Um,
0: Why don't you have one? How can I support the show? All of these different things. You guys are amazingly supportive of us. Um, So we have decided to go ahead and launch a Patreon as a way of kind of funding new content for Total Party Thrill.
1: Right. So even if you aren't going to donate through Patreon, you're going to get more stuff because we're going to be able to produce more stuff, uh, much of which we will actually be releasing to everyone. Yeah. So so first of all, if you don't know what
0: Patreon is, it's a website that allows you to kind of set up a recurring pledge uh, month after month that just bills your credit card and then sends that money to the artists and creators that you support yeah it's kind of like having a kid in college but much cheaper yeah yeah Um, and then on top of that there are sort of uh, reward tiers based on your pledge levels things that we give back to you based on how much money you give each month and then also goals that are tied to the total amount of pledges that we have as a as a creator
1: yeah, over the last two years, we have received so many good ideas for really cool things that we could do with the podcast. Uh, but at this point, we're pretty much maxed out on the capacity that we have to invest in this while still continuing to remain married to women who are reasonable. And gainfully employed. <laughs> <laughs> but one or the other has to give. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this before, but each episode takes like 12 to 15 man hours to prep, write, record, edit, and then post.
0: Yeah. And we right now, we alternate those editing and writing duties. So a couple listeners have noticed that in some episodes, Ishan is the jerk. In other <laughs> episodes, Shane is the jerk. And it's totally dependent on who wrote the episode and then who edited the episode. <laughs> so we, we share those and we, we generally alternate, um, you know, as as life and schedules get in the way. Sometimes we have to kind of double back. But um, we've made that split work. It's just that it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for family and work and all the other things going on to also do the cool things that you guys have asked us about. And we want to finally fulfill those wishes.
1: Yeah, the point of this is to enable us to hire some people in the community and you know, actually pay them a fair wage to help out with side projects or additional content that we've got. Uh, I think all of you saw the brand Talandro portrait. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shane had that commissioned, uh, by Quinn Wilson, who got paid some amount of money. A reasonable amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to do more of those kinds of things. Uh, it also keeps us from having to run ads, which neither of us really wants to do. Yeah. And since we don't like asking for something without offering something in return, if you head over to our Patreon site right now, which is patreon.com slash Total Thrill you'll be able to read part four of the annotated history of Brand Talandro. Yeah, so part four really kicks off when 5th edition came out. Like the official
0: final rules, the PHP. Right, right. So as you might recall in the Morning Glory campaign, we had started with the D&D Next playtest, and if you read the first three um, installments of that history on Tribality, you might have noticed that the rules were a little bit off, Uh, from 5th edition Uh, that's because they were the playtest rules and we tried to annotate where that was different but um, then as we were playing the phb got released and we all said hey let's go remake our characters however we want to and
1: re-implement them in the game at the same time brand kind of had a bit of a crisis of faith spurred by events within the game yeah yeah So this part four is a lot of us going back and forth uh, via email or actually, I think G chats start making an appearance here. Yeah. Also some not safe for work language. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Which is definitely not edited out. Uh, Talking about what the next iteration of brand is going to look like. Uh, A word of warning, it is very long. It is about as long as the first three parts that showed up on Tribality put together. And there's going to be a fifth part coming as well. Uh, when we started compiling this entire project, we realized it was about 25,000 words long. And we both kind of went, well, that's too much. That was before we started annotating. Right. <laughs> but then we thought about uh, one of our favorite written series, The All Guardsman Party. So we want to give a shout out to Shaggy, who compiles all of that. Those are like... Essentially, green text, but they run 30,000 words per episode. Right. And we sat and read so many of them as we played Dark Heresy. <laughs> right. There was never a moment I was reading those when I was like, man, I wish this was over. Right. Right. E- even after sitting there for two hours on my phone, my battery's dead. And I'm just like, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> so we hope that, you know, once we put this entire package together, you'll, you know, read it all at once and find it enjoyable. So that is available right now on patreon for you to check out even if you are not currently or not going to be a patreon sponsor that is available for you right now
0: right all you have to do is click the link in the show notes and you will find it
1: for those of you though who do decide that you want to throw a bit of money our way there are some additional things you'll get
0: yeah so let's talk about the goals this is the total amount that um we are pledged each month so when we get to a hundred dollars a month we will release a supercut of the
1: morning glory campaign as an mp3 to all of our patrons so we're gonna go through all of the well the first 73 episodes yep pull out all of the morning glory recaps yep string them all together in a long mp3 yep edit them more appropriately so there's not too much duplication maybe add a bit of additional content where things need to be clarified oh dear (laughs) oh boy and then and then give that i thought this was supposed to be make less work for us (laughs) yeah actually this is having a lot of work
0: uh but yeah so that'll be available uh to patrons at the hundred dollar level. I think that is probably a relatively reasonable goal that we might hit that relatively quickly. Um, after that, it's just going to be as it comes. Um, and and that's why the sort of the higher goals that we have uh, are mostly going to be asking somebody to do this work for us and paying them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think after I, I've already started working on the morning glory uh, recut, but anything after that, I'm just like, I'm exhausted. So at $200, we will be documenting all of our character creation forge builds and releasing them as a codex uh, available on totalpartythrillcast.com for anyone to uh, search and index and check out. And just, you know, if you're looking for a quick build for a game or a one shot or whatever, you'll have all of that content available to you.
1: Yeah, this is one of the biggest requests that we get on a regular basis. Uh, it is, though, a lot of work to go back through all 100 episodes and pull out the build and the breakdown and then put together sort of like a leveling plan. Right. But we're going to do it. Slowly but surely. <laughs> uh, it
0: will not be released all at once. Uh, it'll probably be released in like <laughs> 10 to 15 builds at a time, but we will eventually get it up to speed where we're updating it on a on a regular basis.
1: Like weekly? Like every time there's a new build? Yeah, (laughs) that's what I would call regular. (laughs) At $300, we're going to put out a total party thrill guide to Unearthed Arcana. It's basically a quick guide to what we would or would not allow at our table from the Unearthed Arcana material that's been released by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, that'll just be like a simple thumbs up,
0: thumbs down rating system on the the broad strokes of all thumbs down yeah it's not true every single one i like <laughs> some of them i like many of them Actually, all thumbs up there's a lot of them that are underpowered and that's why we complained and those would be thumbs up
1: yeah go for it but with a caveat <laughs> at 500 dollars, i'm excited about this uh we will do an actual play episode with shane's mom well, an actual play series, actually. <laughs> you know, th- this was your idea. I didn't come up with this. I, well, yeah. So. You're the one offering your mom up for podcast consumption so
0: we've talked about this a bit before that my mother listens to our show and that she has been slowly making her way through the back catalog not at a weekly pace but every once in a while she sends me a text and she's like what is this thing that you guys keep saying what does that mean (laughs) and then also she's very excited that like she gets to share a hobby that she never really understood when i was playing role-playing games with my friends in high school and you know that i moved out of the house so she never really saw it again so She's kind of enjoying a trip down memory lane, um, and she's interested in it. She's kind of a nerd, but she's never played RPGs. So we're going to fire up the old
1: recording studio and see what happens. So who's going to run? Me, and I'm going to run you and your mom and maybe some other people, or are you going to run your mom? I don't. I think you'll probably have to run us, too, and we'll just figure it out from there. Oh,
0: TPK. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately. (laughs) <laughs> um, depending on how big of a disaster that is, we might release it on the main feed, and if it's truly terrible, it'll be patron-only, and you guys can just enjoy our misery.
1: And then, you know, upload it to torrent sites.
0: Right. <laughs> it's a $500 goal, so it's like, I don't know that we're ever going to hit that.
1: For a million dollars, I'll play a game with my mom. Yeah. My mom doesn't know I have a podcast. I'm going to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. She's it's Better for she, everyone. She's enjoying her ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> of course, even beyond that, We've set some stretch goals. This is the dumbest goal (laughs) we have ever come up with. So
0: at $1,000, which is as high as I'm willing to forecast, even so, uh, we will do an actual play of the classic drinking game Power Hour, in which we take one drink every minute for an hour. Not a shot. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, just a just a a solid gulp. there's <laughs> was probably going to be liquor. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and during this time, we will also attempt to answer your mailbag questions, though I I predict that will work for about 30 minutes. Yeah,
1: get them in early so you get it answered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or send something where the answer would be slurable. Yeah, yeah. and I uh, can't imagine that one getting posted publicly. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So these are not set in stone. Uh, If you'd like us to add more goals, let us know what you'd like to see, because we're absolutely open to suggestions. Now, those are the goals that all patrons or all listeners get once, in aggregate, we reach a certain level. But for you specifically, if you become a patron, depending on how much you contribute each month, you'll also get something just for you.
0: Yeah, so at $2, that's our sort of basic patron tier. Uh, That gets you access to our patron-only feed uh, within Patreon, where we plan to post a lot of our sort of um, game content that we've sort of accumulated and that we've been talking about, Um, as well as any of the things that we unlock for patrons will be available to you. That's at $2 a month. At $5 a month, this is when we start getting into physical rewards. Oh, stuff. So at $5, we will send you a TPT button to wear at conventions or your local nerd store.
1: Yeah, it's not swag because not everyone gets it. Right. I guess it's It's stuff just patrons get.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That, that's
1: mm-hmm. pronounceable. Yeah. At $10 a month, you join the t-shirt club. Uh, after three months at this level, we will send you a total party thrill t-shirt as a thank you. If you've already got a T-shirt, we'll figure something out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, at $20 a month, you can put words in our mouth. So after three months at this level, we will read your message on the air.
1: Yeah, he said words, words in our mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably also liquor.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, depending on what words. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's not offensive or,
0: uh, you know, too long, I guess. Those are probably the two criteria. We'll pretty much say anything.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we bleep liberally, so yeah, have at
0: it. Um, but, yeah, if you have a project that you want us to give a shout-out to or, I don't know, you want to say um, thank you to a friend for introducing you to the show or uh, happy birthday or uh, propose to your future spouse, I-, I don't care. I'll do that
1: for you. Yeah, I think that's ideal. You do have access right now to two people who have proposed and been accepted. So you really can't go wrong.
0: Three times. <laughs>
1: Wait, you proposed three times?
0: No, you have.
1: Only two times. Yeah, but three times. Oh, three the times two altogether, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have had two accepted proposals, yes. <laughs> You've got a lot of experience. <laughs> and at $100 per month, we will read whatever ad you want each and every episode.
0: Don't do that. That's too much money.
1: Yeah, and also we don't we don't want to read an ad.
0: And we don't really want to be beholden to one person that, that much. Right. But if you are a company or something and you have a, a big project to sponsor, I, hey, that's a, it's out there.
1: Hey, yeah. So if you are listening to us right now and you're sitting at home and going, you know what, I've got like five extra dollars a month that I'm not doing anything with. Yeah, I could give up my latte. So think about it. And if you can really spare that money, I highly encourage you to give it to the ACLU because they could really use that donation right now. That's fair. If you have $10 a month. Right. If you've got an additional five on top of that, please give it to Planned Parenthood (laughs) because they also really need that money. Now, if you have five more dollars over that, maybe consider giving it to us. That's a good point. (laughs) Now, if you have $110 a month, I've got a whole list of charities that you should fund before us. I think we should do this every time we talk about Patreon. (laughs) Here's two more charities for you. Also us. (laughs) Uh, Anyway,
0: this is absolutely um, optional for everybody. Uh, We aren't expecting anything from uh, any of our listeners, and the show will continue to go on in its current format uh, uninterrupted. Um, You know, 6 a.m. every Thursday, no problem, uh, regardless of what happens with Patreon. Uh, We're just hoping that this will be a cool way to engage with our listeners and also get some new content put out there um, that you guys have been asking for for about two years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we're always still available on Twitter or email messages if you just want to get in contact with us directly.
0: Yeah, I assure you there will be no priority access through Patreon because (laughs) we are bad at responding to things Especially emails <laughs> across the board. <laughs> uh but if you do have any questions, email uh totalpartythrill at gmail dot com
1: or Twitter uh at TPTcast are probably the easiest ways to get us. So speaking of email and Twitter questions, this is a mailbag episode. It is. Would you like to start with Twitter, Yushin? Because those are much shorter. Sure, let's knock them out. Okay. First question comes from Voyager at Mumfree999. Any subjects that you'd like to revisit because your perspectives have changed over the course of 1 to 99 episodes? I got to say, I don't, hashtag no regrets, right? Like, I ain't going to take nothing back. Uh, No, I don't think there's anything where I can look back and say, oh, I wish I had said something different. There are some early episodes where I kind of wish we didn't bite off so much in one single episode. Like uh, we did, I think episode maybe 12 was uh, the social contract. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we get so many questions about that. And like when I'm on like a Reddit or something, I see so many people throwing out questions that just have to do with a basic misunderstanding of the social contract and what it means to like have fun in a group of people right right uh so i mean that's something i would want to expand on more maybe we'll end up doing that by sort of pulling out a smaller part of that and expanding it into a full episode yeah that's funny because that was also the
0: episode that i would like to revisit um ironic uh is it ironic it is because that's the episode we submitted for the ennies last year and that got us a nomination i believe i thought it was the dwarf episode uh well we kind of we submitted a couple (laughs) we (laughs) did take your pick (laughs) didn't quite follow the rules um (laughs) but that was one of the episodes that we had we had sent for the Ennies and and we got nominated and that was amazing um and and thank you for everybody who voted for us but i i feel like it's such an important topic i would i think we should revisit it if for no other reason than just as like a a good friendly reminder of like, here's a fresh episode to point people to if you have questions or problems or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I would, I would love to get in that kind of case by case sort of situation too maybe like troll through Reddit and see if we can't find some um, truly egregious social contract questions.
1: Oh, there are some super creepy ones recently. So well, it's Reddit. So yeah. 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 We're not going to look on 4chan. (laughs) No, (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think there's such a social contract there as caveat and tour.
1: <laughs> uh, we kind of did the same thing with uh, our initial playing non-human characters episode. You know, we then blew that out into uh, all the different races, and that's been a really popular series. Mm-hmm. All right, Jane. Next Twitter question.
0: Uh, this one comes from Tyler Diaz. That's Ziphon three on
1: Twitter. Ziphoni e e e e e. I accept. We've had Batman.
0: How about forging Robin in general or a specific one? But I want the sidekick. And at the risk of seeming greedy by sending two requests, what party would you most like to play in made only of forges?
1: Too greedy. Rejected.
0: (laughs) Well, let's start with Robin. Okay. Uh, I don't know anything about Robin other than he was a circus acrobat and he was in in the movie that had the nipple
1: suit. Yeah, paging Dr. Howard, Dr. Howard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think if we are making a and d character that is Robin, early Robin is trying to be Batman, you know? So it's really just sort of a low-level Batman. I think our Batman was, uh, what, Rogue Monk? Yeah. Uh, and that fits really well with Robin, right? Expertise in acrobatics, essentially. I mean, he should be actually better at acrobatics at the same level than Batman would have been. Right. The things that really differentiate Robin though in terms of a D&D build is I would make sure that he has charisma as high as possible given the uh strictures of your build. Mm. Because even more so than Batman, Dick Grayson especially, is like a leader. Uh Batman kind of leads from the shadows, or like people do what Batman says because if you don't do what Batman says, you're going to die. And it's not that Batman kills you, it's that you're an idiot for not following his instructions. Right. But Dick Grayson stands in the front and says, like, do what I am going to do because you believe in me.
0: Okay, so trading out Batman's intelligence for Robin's charisma.
1: Yeah, I mean, Robin is still very smart. And particularly later Robins are sort of like very technically proficient, but that's not really something you model well in D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe like tool proficiencies, you know, but... Um, but yeah, I think the build is generally the same with more of an emphasis on charisma and maybe slightly less emphasis on wisdom or dexterity, whatever you think you can spare, mechanically speaking. Okay. Second part of the question, Shane, if you had to build a and d party made only of character creation forge entries, what would it be?
0: So we joked about this before we started recording that I would just take six of the gambler... <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you reminded me that if you take six, then the DM is going to scale up the difficulty. So Mm-mm. you should only take five. So that's fair. I would take a party of five gamblers. <laughs> and then I was thinking about it. And I'm really missing an opportunity to get the spell duelist, who is the counter spell specialist, which is a super strong build. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would throw that one in there. And then I think I would throw the Warhammer 40k Inquisitor in as well.
1: So the Inquisitor and then the Warband of Acolytes.
0: Basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I dig it.
0: Um, and then uh, there were a couple other, like, sort of goofy and fun ones that I uh,
1: I wouldn't mind. Polymorph Fromage? It seems like you're going for the broken builds anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with the Polymorph Fromage. <laughs> it's a party of mages and one Inquisitor. An Inquisitor who's like, I will use every tool at my disposal. Exactly.
1: This is the <laughs> rampant uh, pragmatism. <laughs> Is a, a radical, right? It's not technically against the rules. Uh, I'm using rules as written of the the ecclesiarchy. No, that's interesting. I think I would go for more of like
0: a monodominant like a, a very hardline, oh. uh, puritanical approach to the Inquisition because I have all of these tools at my disposal. If I took a radical approach, I would be, I, I would quickly upset the balance of power.
1: Oh, fair. So only yeah.
0: faith can sort of reign in our clear ability to rule the world.
1: <laughs> also, it's very much like a a puritan to be like mm, polymorph disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's a trial? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to turn you into a steak so I can burn you. <laughs> How about you?
1: What's your party? Um I think I'm going to go with uh, team America. So Captain America. Okay. Batman. All right. Um, the two-fisted archaeologist, uh, Indiana Jones, not Lara Croft. Oh cuz Lara Croft was British, British right? British. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah believe, I think that's I right. Believe. Yeah. Um the Highway Ronin, because only really in America do you have these long, stretching highways with someone on a motorcycle who like has to walk around riding wrongs. Mad Max was Australian, but that's fine. He wasn't really, really it riding wrongs. definitely Australian, though. <laughs> yes. I guess Patagonia as well. You could just, I'm going with the Highway Ronin. Okay, fine. The Route 66 Ronin, if you will. Okay, let's go with that. And if, I mean, to really round out America, I think this gum-sucking lawyer needs to be the the final member of the group. Yeah, this is less Team America and more Team Americana. Sure, yeah, I'll take it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They could all be star-spangled. Yeah. (laughs) Except for Batman. Right, yeah, he's still mm -mm. dark and brooding. Yeah, of course. All right, so now let's move on to the email questions. Wait, 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 we have one more question from Twitter oh yeah it came in like an hour ago and we've been doing this for like three hours yeah (laughs) all right we can uh let's splice this back into the twitter section okay that's why we sound way more drunk because we are do it way more drunk all right all right janine x at the rummy yj says what are your thoughts on food at the gaming table any recommendations
0: first of all i think it's the rummy J
1: thought I said... That. No, there's no YJ. There's no YJ. Oh, you're just right. One it's just y. the rummage. Uh, look, I may have had a few drinks. <laughs> we
0: <laughs> may have recently recorded that terrible, terrible <laughs> song. Uh, so thoughts on foods at the gaming table. Uh, nothing that leaves stuff on your fingers, because that gets into books and character sheets and all over the place.
1: Yeah, it sort of sounds weird to say, but I would... I lean away from things like Cheetos and Doritos, like the traditional D&D finger foods. Even though I would
0: love to eat them all the time at game night, I, yeah, don't. Th- those are the worst foods to
1: eat. You eat those? They don't have any protein. I'm uh, okay,
0: yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think if you're going to do like those kind of snack foods, uh, candy is probably actually a little bit better, like a bowl of M&Ms or something, or like peanut M&Ms are good. Um, but I think just... In general, if you want something a little bit healthier, maybe hummus and, like, pita chips or uh, guac and tortillas. Yeah, those
1: those are great for, you know, essentially like party food, right, people yeah. to sort of share, um, you know, with regular tortilla chips that aren't going to leave a ton on your fingers. Uh, so we game in, like, downtown Manhattan
0: which means we have delivery of every cuisine
1: you can imagine. Every single possible yeah, thing. Available yeah, available without having to call a single person. It's all <laughs> on the internet. Uh, and I know that's not typical, but like, if that's a situation that you're in, I think the only things you really need to consider are space. Again, in Manhattan, we have less space than most people have, I think. But you want something that isn't going to make a big sloshy mess. So like soups or even something like a a curry or a ramen is less convenient simply because you need to be a lot more careful and mm-hmm. you know if you do spill like it's possible that you ruin a battle map or somebody's expensive mini or their or someone's kitchen table. Yeah, well, I don't care about your kitchen yeah, table. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> um or, or you know, a character sheet, right? right like right. uh you can replace it but it's a pain in the ass. Or a phone or laptop or that's actually yeah. something to be more concerned about. Yeah. Um also you want to think about smell. Um I tend to avoid seafood at game night.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, pizza is great. Yeah, uh, especially if you live in a city that doesn't do deep-dish pizza. <laughs> so right, all the good audience? cities,
1: right? Because that's not pizza, right? That's it's, that's it's, like cheese and tomato cake,
0: tomato soup in a bread
1: bowl, <laughs> as Jon Stewart once said. <laughs> also, you have to use your hands to eat the pizza, but that's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, if you have foods like that where where it's hand food and it, it could be messy, I would just make sure you keep. Uh, napkins close at hand, because you don't want that getting everywhere. And as a guest at somebody's house, maybe pick up a napkin and wipe off your f- hands.
1: Right. Do that before you move the mini, right. or like point on the battle map. Right. right? Or, no or, fingerprints. Or aligned. touch
0: their upholstered
1: chair. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're in a more traditional D&D scenario, you're in the suburbs, you're in a basement, you have a lot more room. Uh, when we were actually at Angelo and Susie's place before you joined the group, they would like make food. Oh, yeah. Before we showed up. And then we would take like a, you know, 15 minute break halfway through. Everyone would go, like, grab some food, eat a bit, and then take their food back to their places and we'd continue playing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard about people who cook for their guests.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult in Manhattan. Uh, The other thing that I used to do back in high school, which I think probably a lot of our listeners may still be able to do, is like we gamed all night, Mm -hmm. you know? So we would take like an hour break at like two in the morning, hop in a car, go to Taco Bell. Or the 7-Eleven or literally the grocery store, right? And, like, actually buy food. Maybe, like, frozen pizza. We make some frozen pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The the gas station nachos, those happened a lot. Although I'm pretty sure a dude died from botulism in California from gas station nacho cheese. So maybe avoid that. Good Lord. (laughs) No. It's like my worst fear is dying from some ridiculous thing in my obit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do avoid pork. Trichinosis is like the worst.
1: But just poorly canned green beans. Those could be my undoing at any point. (laughs) The jelly green giant strikes again. Um, So yes, food at the table, yes, because you need to keep people fueled in order to actually play this game. Yep. Um, Just be considerate like a normal human being. Also, if you are a guest at somebody's place, it's very
0: easy to just pick up a, a bag of something that you can share with everybody every once in a while just to be like hey thanks here's some stuff for the group yeah uh same goes for alcohol which we also fully endorse at the table we would not be friends with all of our friends if we didn't have it
1: i have a tough time GMing an entire session without any boost
0: yeah <laughs> i uh i've taken to GMing a lot of sober sessions when you guys get housed
1: <laughs> <laughs> And I actually, I'm kind of enjoying it a lot. It's one or the other, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. don't want to be in between. <laughs> I think the last session of Morning Glory, I was like, I can't drink. I got to make this come together. I gotta, yeah, I, I got to gotta fit it all. Right. I got to make it work. I got to remember this. Definitely other sessions where I was like, I don't have a lot planned. Yeah. <laughs> I should definitely get drunk and we'll just see what happens. We'll
0: socialize a
1: lot. <laughs> and, the, you know, sometimes those are the, like the most fun sessions. There's a lot of, hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll allow it. Right. (laughs) Many a ponderous pause.
1: Thank you, Janine. Great question.
0: Yeah, so we got uh, a good number of email questions, and all of them had very kind words and congratulations and thank yous and and everything associated with it. Um, We appreciate that. Thank you so much for writing those kind words, but for the sake of brevity, we're going to not read those. Yeah.
1: In the future, though, if you want to pay us to read them, we certainly will, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> All right, so our first email
0: comes from Scott who is at VriskaChat on Twitter. So Scott is uh, just a little bit of background from his email. He's playing an inquisitorial sorcerer, uh starting Rogue One Dragon Sorcerer 2, so he's following the brand Talandro build. He will come to no good end. <laughs> uh he's concerned about multiclassing delaying his sorcerer abilities and feeling behind the rest of the party. So he asks, multiclassing is a staple in the character creation forge where you want those characters to be playable from one to 20, but you rarely discuss how to actually break it up. I'd appreciate a discussion on the actual nuts and bolts of playing and leveling up a multiclass character and any pitfalls to avoid beyond stopping short of milestones and ASIs.
1: So we've mentioned a bit of this before, but in general, you want to avoid delaying the ability score increase that you get at level four because likely you're going to be pumping that into your main stat or you'll be getting a feat that's crucial to your build. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, pretty much every character class gets a substantial bump in power at level 5, so you want to delay that as little as possible. But a lot of it is going to depend on, one, your play style, right? Are you someone who needs to feel powerful at every level or do you have a very particular character concept that you need to multi-class in order to feel like you actually are that character? Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, like a lot of spellcasters get the bump in power from their cantrips. Like at level 5, they scale. Yeah, that's
0: it. Yeah, Cantrips are character level, not class level.
1: Yeah, I'm going through this exact same thing in our Dark Sun game. I've got a multi classed druid eldritch knight and... I need both of those classes in order to feel like I'm the character that I want to play, which is like a psionic gladiator who like rediscovers a druidic heritage, Mm -hmm. you know? So that meant that I needed to start with one of the classes and then immediately multiclass into the other. Right. And then to really feel like I had any sort of druidic abilities and to get the wild shape to, you know, feel like I had an iconic ability, I needed, I felt like I needed to go to druid three. Yep but that really delayed Your uh, fighter. fighter abilities yeah. right so now i'm level 6 i am eldritch knight 3 where i finally really have some like You're spells at eldritch knight <laughs> right uh and druid 3 but that means that i have zero ability score increases at yep. level 6 i have level 2 spells at level 6 yep uh and i don't have extra attack it, and i'll be perfectly honest it's kind of tough right now You know, like in combat, that's my main thing is smash things with a shillelagh, but I can only do it once around unless I drop out that action surge. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of like dealing with it until Druid 4, I'm getting an ASI and Fighter 4, I'm getting an ASI. So what's going to happen is I will be slow for like levels three through seven and then like a sudden surge in power. Yeah,
0: that's a a really long delay though. Yeah. I mean, we generally say don't delay more than a level or two to get to level five in a class because level five is sort of where that next tier ability comes from, either Mm -hmm. third level spells or extra attack or or the equivalent. And when you delay that, you're you're kind of slowing down uh, when you enter that next tier of play. And, And I feel like that is a little easier to feel and see at the table when everyone else gets to roll d20s twice and you don't.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a trade-off that you have to decide what you're comfortable with. Right. It would have been much, much more mechanically optimal for me to take Fighter 1, Druid 5, or Fighter 5, Druid 1. I would still have the flavor, I would mostly be role-playing the aspects of the other class, but then I would have extra attack, or I would have level 3 spells, plus uh, a better wild shape. Yeah. But I'm a sucker for punishment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> You're playing Dark Sun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but as to why we don't discuss this in every single character creation Forge one, we're often running short on time and we're trying to cover it completely as completely as possible in the time we have allotted. And two is just that it gets very repetitive to always be saying the same thing. So um, you know, I would rather give you some guiding principles rather than specify that on each and
1: every build. Right. So specifically to Scott's question, if you're multi-classing a rogue and a sorcerer, what would your early levels breakdown be?
0: Okay, so it's it's interesting because Brand was a sorcerer rogue, but because I started that build late, uh, I never actually had to play through the early levels of it. So I didn't have to deal with that split. Uh, but in Dark Sun, I am also playing <laughs> a spellcaster rogue. <laughs> huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a Bladesinger, Swashbuckler. Um, And so I think with that build, the problem you have is when you get to level five, you don't have your third level Sorcerer spells, um, but your Rogue is... If you go Rogue One, Sorcerer Four, uh, as he's planning, as as Brand was, uh, you're not going to have Sneak Attack high enough to feel like a good melee character because you'll only get one attack. You also won't have third level spells, so you'll feel like you're sort of stuck in between um, being, like, you know, a full caster and also being a competent rogue. So you're going to end up relying on cantrips. And if you're a dragon sorcerer, that's probably going to be whatever the elemental cantrip is for your dragon. Uh, I was fire, so that was firebolt. Um, That gives you pretty good damage, but isn't quite as exciting as attacking multiple times or getting to drop fireball or haste or, you know, uh, those...
1: Fly, You know, all those kind of fun spells. Mm -hmm. But remember that there's a reason you multiclass in the first place. With Rogue One, you've got two expertises. So you are going to be more highly skilled than most of the other characters in the party. So lean more heavily on those in opportunities when you can use those skills. And keep flinging that firebolt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what I'm also doing. Uh, I guess I produce flame... Wow, yeah, <laughs> produce flames also not a great cantrip. No, it's not great. <laughs> it's very flavorful, though. It is very flavorful. <laughs> I also have produce flame. <laughs> All right, our next question comes from Snark Knight. Number one, do you each have a favorite published adventure, and why? Shane, I think I know your answer.
0: Uh, I own exactly one published adventure at this point in my life. It is Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. That
1: is not what I was going to guess. Uh,
0: No. uh, I I like that because it's so weird and it has this kind of strange place in D&D history and that's why I own it. Uh, It's
1: very strange. Is it spoilers? It's been out for so long. It's
0: been out for 20 years, 30 years.
1: Spaceships.
0: Yeah, you go to the Barrier Peaks in Greyhawk and find a spaceship has crashed and the, the dungeon map is literally a spaceship layout. It was a tournament module.
1: Does it ever say who ran the spaceship like what race or whatever? Uh, I don't recall off the top of my I'm head. just going to go with Mind Flayers because I think that actually makes sense. Mind Flayers, if, of anyone, Mind Flayers would have spaceships. Yeah, sure. I they, mean, which they stole from the Neogi, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think my favorite is actually
0: Sunless Citadel. Yeah. It was the first published adventure that I ever ran for other people and it was also the first adventure I ran for other people that was even moderately successful <laughs> no bule yeah no, no bulets suddenly murdering people in an in an arena no rogue sneak attacking from behind as they went into the the den of thieves like it just i it was the first one that kind of showed me a uh, a, a path for how to structure adventures and it had meepo the amazing kobold who like you could befriend and would walk you through all the hard sections up front and it was it was great it was a it was a great meta plot i I love that um bruce cordell wrote that one as well
1: it also has one of my least favorite
0: magic items uh Shadow spike -spike. yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) fair enough (laughs) it was really good
1: if you wanted to sunder things (laughs) and then not get that loot right (laughs) yeah so, what about you, Asian? I think it's probably no surprise to regular listeners, but my favorite module would have to be Dead Gods. Uh, the Planescape uh, module. Mm-hmm, from Monty oh, Cook. Thought, oh, convenient. We just talked about that. Otherwise, I would have forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of a sequel to the Great Modron March, which I also love. Uh, it's, you know, set mostly in Planescape. I will say, I have never run Dead Gods, I have only played through it on multiple occasions, and I've loved it every time. Um, at least one time was uh, not the original 2nd edition, but like a homebrewed 4th uh, edition version. And then a uh, 5th edition campaign that was sort of heavily uh, drawn from it. Um, it has such a, an amazing storyline. Uh, you need to change a lot in order to make it not a wipe in certain areas, but like such is 2nd edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good for world building. Um, and just the craziness and the weird stuff that can happen to the characters while still making them feel like they're really accomplishing something and, you know, saving things, uh, I think to me is sort of like classic quintessential D&D.
0: Cool. So, uh, Snark Knight's second question. I've rewritten this question three times. Maybe this is more of an episode suggestion. But how do you deal when the PCs lose? Like, for example... My group almost got TPK'd by a dragon, and they ran away. I have a bunch of things that I can improvise to happen, but I want them to feel like the situation is now worse without the dragon chases you and kills you in your weakened state, which is no fun for anyone.
1: I think this is a good idea for an episode. Mm -hmm.
0: But let's try and
1: condense it into about two minutes. Well, briefly, you fail forward. Right. The characters have screwed up in some way. Uh, And so that needs to then present them with new opportunities for maybe more screwing up or for finding a different way around the obstacle to get to the goal they were originally reaching for.
0: I I like the idea because it's a dragon and because dragons are cruel and intelligent. um, Maybe the fact that they escaped has uh, endeared them a bit and the dragon chases them down. But instead of killing them, he presses them into his service.
1: Yeah, no, I I like that a
0: lot. So now they have to figure out how to do whatever they were trying to do while also wrestling their
1: way out from under the thumb of this incredibly evil, incredibly powerful creature. Mm -hmm. If that derails your campaign too much, again, remember the dragon is intelligent. Maybe killing obviously weak PCs is not worth its time because dragons hate leaving their horde. Mm -hmm. You know, for all this dragon knows, like it's been around, what, 1500 years it may think this is they're just the decoys it leaves to chase them it eats them it has a full belly and it comes back and the actual adventurers have robbed its horde yeah yeah that's a good point
0: he might actually hire somebody to mm-hmm. go square up with these adventurers because he's not willing to actually leave his horde
1: yeah so you certainly have multiple options the other thing to consider is what is it that the PCs were trying to accomplish when they came across this dragon in the first place like were they trying to retrieve the horde or was the dragon just sort of in the way mm. of their other goal if I know PCs they were after the horde <laughs> <laughs> on the way to some larger goal right? <laughs> yeah on, on the way to the larger goal of being really really rich and retiring from adventuring if you think about uh, Lord of the Rings um, the fellowship is trying to get on the other side of the misty mountains and they're like oh well we should take the pass and there's too much snow. Well, we can't go too far south because Saruman is there. Mm-hmm. Crap! I guess we have to go through Moria. Like yeah. this is an opportunity to be like, well, you know that thing you didn't want to do. <laughs> guess you're doing that thing. Right, right.
0: And then I think worst case scenario is the dragon chases them down and strips them nude and takes all of their stuff. Right. If it's a maybe a younger dragon or something like that, uh, just they. They lose their gear, and I think that's plenty of punishment for losing a fight where the dragon wouldn't really gain anything from killing them.
1: Yeah, sometimes like loss is much worse than death, or even shame.
0: Oh, I'll tell you, lose a hand <laughs> in your game. Did,
1: <laughs> did that? Did that happen? It did happen. Oh yeah, no, no, that happened to Brand. Yeah, he lost a hand. I feel like you were more upset by losing the shield and the wand of shield. I was super <laughs> upset from losing like
0: half of my build. Like I had put feats into, be, into being able to have a shield
1: and now I had no hand to, to equip a shield. So I mean, I think this actually has something to do with this question is, I knew that that was a possibility that you might lose a hand and I knew that it was integral to your build. We were about to go into a section of the story that was very little combat, mostly talking, and then at the end of that relatively short arc, you were going to get your hand back. Mm-hmm. I knew that, you didn't know that, I sort of enjoyed watching you squirm enjoy watching your players squirm for a little while
0: yeah but fair yeah be cognizant that uh, if they feel super underpowered they're gonna get very conservative or potentially very
1: catty with you yeah or just give up and like lose interest in the storyline yeah okay our next question comes from Tim I'm running a completely homebrewed campaign the world is very large and broken up into five continents each of which is ruled by a chromatic dragon as a tyrant I like it I like it yeah, that's a, that's a great world. I mean, to play in, right? Not to live in. Right. <laughs> that's why I'm not playing a peasant. Right. <laughs> so the, his question is, he has five friends who are not currently playing the game that he has asked to create the personalities of each of those dragons, you know, how they keep control of their continents. And he's given them complete control over how the dragons react to the world as the players are interacting with it. So essentially, he has five friends who are role-playing the dragons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the party is destroying a blue dragon hatchery, he says, and they smash all the eggs, he goes and asks his friend, what does the blue dragon do in response? Uh, They can also like form alliances with other other dragons. Essentially, they're playing dragon risk, and then you have this other party operating in that world. Exactly. So he asks, you know, have you heard of anything like this? And am I biting off more than I can chew? I was hoping that having dynamic villains outside my own head would create a more rich environment. Plus, I don't have to create as much, but he's afraid that it might fall flat. And notes that is it's only the second campaign he's ever run. So I have done something like this. Oh, really? Um,
0: not to this extent. Not, not to the point where I had multiple people playing effectively, like you said, Dragon Risk, right? Um, I think that can be very difficult because the disparity in resources and the lack of investment from the Dragon players... Like they don't have an eye towards what makes for a good story for your actual campaign, mm-hmm. right? So I think that can be a challenge. Uh, but w- something that I do, um, and even in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, the, the Rug Trader game that I'm running for our group, is I actually I, I send a weekly recap of what happened, and I send that recap to a couple of my friends from home that I used to play games with. And I always ask a couple of them, I'm like, hey, what's a cool thing for this character to do in response to that? Right? And they know kind of what's going on. And I just solicit them for input because I'm, you know, I'm sometimes marred down in the details or I'm not thinking or, or whatever. And, you know, they've got like just a second opinion. And sure, sometimes they give me crazy off the wall ideas that I can't use. And other times they give me terrible, poorly, like thought through ideas that wouldn't really fit the character. But other times they give me great ideas. And that's exactly what I do. Right, so sometimes you're dealing with the true randomness of somebody role-playing your enemies, uh, which I don't know that you've ever known that. And why would you? It's not important to you guys. Uh, the story that comes out of it is what's important,
1: and I've curated that. It makes sense that we've been fighting Southern frat bros this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so
0: these were all friends before that. <laughs> oh, so These are all friends from high school. Oh. <laughs>
1: proper nerds thank you they're like (laughs) i'm surprised they haven't sent a boule after us (laughs) not yet (laughs) um i think what tim has done is he's basically running two separate games at the same time Mm -hmm. right like you're asking your friends hey give me some input what do you think a character would do in this situation but tim is saying hey what does your character do in this situation. And and I think those those people being
0: asked that question are expecting that to become true. Right. They're they're not offering input, they're telling it how it is.
1: If they are, it's going to be actually really hard to balance the needs of both parties. And then also like the dragons with each other, right? Because now you're you're getting into almost too many protagonists. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do the dragons know that they're supposed to lose in the end? Yeah, that's the other part of this, is that the dragon story
0: is wholly unimportant to your campaign.
1: Especially five of them, right? right? Like if there was one player and one dragon sort of controlling on a macro level all of the quote-unquote evil forces, that's something that I, I could see being easier to manage. Now, if you have a conversation with the five dragon players and say, hey, you know, like, I'm looking for your input on what you think would be cool and interesting in this scenario more than, hey, what does your dragon character do? Because, of course, if you ask them the latter, they are invested in keeping the dragon alive Mm -hmm. uh, rather than having a cool story. And they're invested in amassing territory. So the story is really going to become about the dragons fighting with each other or having alliances with each other. right? And your relatively low-level party isn't going to matter much
0: yeah to me that's that's really the challenge that you have here is you're if you treat the dragons like players they're gonna want the agency of players Mm -hmm. if you treat them as co-gms then they should take the more holistic view of what makes for a cool story what makes for cool challenges for the campaign what makes for a cool backdrop for the campaign but not how do i win this game
1: yeah I could even see also treating them as, like, fans of a TV show.
0: You oh, yeah, You are yeah, the yeah.
1: showrunner, and they are writing in with ideas about what they want to see happen to their favorite character or what they would do in the situation. You are not beholden to that advice. Yep. You make a story, and then you send them that story that should be enjoyable for them to read. They'll be like, oh, cool, I didn't expect that that would happen to this character. Right. Or even my character. But that's pretty cool. Yep. Uh, actually, I think that's, that's exactly right, is...
0: It's great to have outside input, but you need to make the final decision on what happens.
1: Yeah. In the same way that you would if you're just dealing with a regular party. And and you are trying to role play all five of them in your own head. Yeah. Like, you know, if you have a PC who is noble born, they'll often say like, oh, well, my house does this. Or like my father, the king, I think he would do this. But like they don't get to decide what the king does. You decide. Right, right.
0: All right, next question. This comes from Jeff. My table consists of all new players to tabletop, and we've been playing 5e for the last four months. Congratulations. We've been playing with pre-chain characters in a generic setting this entire time, killing goblins and solving problems. It's burn notice. I would like to shift gears (laughs) and put the campaign in Eberron. How do I introduce the setting to new players? Should I just do lore dumps each
1: session by NPCs or what? Okay, so first I want to say that if you have so far been killing goblins and solving problems, this is perfect to shift to Eberron. You're basically an Eberron. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, get out of goblin land and into Sharn, and you're an Eberron. <laughs> oh, we stumble out of uh, Dargoon, and yeah. actually, you're in you're in Breland. You're actually within spitting distance of Sharn. Right. <laughs> um, So I will say, first off, who wants to shift the campaign to Eberron? Like, Jeff, if it's you, that's cool, but do the rest of the players know anything about Eberron? It seems like they don't. So the first thing I would do is check with them, give them the elevator pitch of Eberron and ask is this a kind of campaign setting you're interested in playing in? Because it's not a traditional campaign setting. Well, I I hear
0: you but they're also
1: new players, so what does traditional matter? I mean, if they're thinking, oh, like I'm going to play d and D. I I hear it's like Lord of the Rings. Like, Eberron is not in Lord of the Rings. Well, D&D isn't really Lord of the Rings either. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> like <laughs> After four months, I should be
0: disabused of that notion. <laughs> All right, fine. Let's assume everyone's on board with Eberron. I, yeah, I mean, well, continue your thought. I won't interrupt you any further. <laughs> Please do. I think people enjoy that. <laughs> As you can tell, we've we're now on our second glass as we prepare for this
1: musical review in this episode we're both the jerk (laughs) (laughs) please continue um i don't think lore dumps is the way to go i kind of like when shane came aboard as brand the party was level eight they were firmly in eberron i kind of did a lore dump with you because you didn't know anything about eberron but you kind of needed to get up to speed to where everyone else was and i was also a new
0: player so you could kind of Like since I was like auditioning, yeah, kind of put that on. Can you handle this? Yeah, exactly.
1: And and, you know, it's something I probably would have done even if it wasn't Eberron, even if you were familiar with the setting, because I would just be doing. Here's what happened in the campaign, right? Yeah. Um, but I think because everyone is new to Eberron, an easy way to do this is to have them be relatively provincial characters, people mm. who like haven't traveled widely. Yep. They are from wherever you decide to set the beginning of this campaign. And then just give them you know, information about the general wider world. Like you're on a continent co- called Corvair. It's pretty big and there was a freaking war. Yep. Uh, Low-level magic is like a thing and you're all comfortable with that. Now, that said, you're all from Ondaerr You've all been from Ondair, and you've never left Ondair. So here's actually a fair amount of information about Ondair. Actually, I don't know that you even need to go that far. I, I mean, you could actually play
0: the players as their characters, right? Of They might not have realized that they're actually in Eberron, right? Find find the place in Corvair where you could fit them in, where they're they've been fighting goblins or whatever, where you've got room to fit whatever town or people that they know, and then have somebody from outside come in and be like, hey we uh we're recruiting uh for the last war by the way Well, I guess it wouldn't be the last war yet <laughs> for the hundred Years' War <laughs> like we, we're coming through to conscript
1: I think that would work maybe in Zendric you think there's too much information that's like widely available I think in Cor- Corvair is too advanced for people not to know where they are uh, fair enough but uh, it could totally work if they were if they were a party of seren barbarians mm. like all they know is we live on an island and there are dragon gods. Who whom we see occasionally, but if then like I don't know conquistadors <laughs> essentially, yeah. Uh, from Kabara show up, yeah. Well, I that would be
0: it's it's probably too far gone in their campaign for that. Um, if yeah, they're you, four months you, in. No, they're probably like as much as level five. Yeah, you you might be right. It it might be best to just kind of, you know, you've you've been focused in this little area of the map. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me expand your view a little bit. Uh, but your characters already know this.
1: I bet it works as a pirate game, actually. If they're in the Lazar Principalities, they've either been on an island or on a ship or, you know, combination of both. Like, the Lazar Principalities are run by, like, pirate kings, not really Corvair as a whole. They weren't really involved in the last war. They That actually could be characters who weren't involved in the war. And, you know, once they get to the real mainland, they're like, oh, wow, oh really? A hundred years? You're kind of idiots. Oh, yeah. That's Why would you idea. do that?
0: Yeah. And the, I mean, the Lazar Principalities don't have a huge political position in Eberron right. either. So mm-hmm. once you leave them, you don't have a great reason to go back.
1: Yeah. The other option would be the Shadow Marches. That's mostly humans and half-orcs, which should be fun. Just you'd be peasants in the wilds fighting goblin tribes. Yeah, You know, you just hadn't been involved in it. Or oh, you could all be gnomes from Zalargo. Well, they're
0: probably not an all-gnome party. Maybe they should be. I, I do like your Zenadric idea because you could make Stormreach sort of that that main, you know, the, oh, the capital kind yeah, of place, yeah, like, yeah. Right, the biggest city they know of. And when they get there, they realize that there's actually a whole lot beyond Stormreach.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could essentially be low-level adventurers in Stormreach, completely unconcerned with, like, this war happening on a distant continent. They're going into the jungles, killing goblin tribes and things like that. And then... They find a patron or something kicks them up into the wider world and that gives them all this information that they didn't have before. Not that you need to dump it on them. You can just – they have the ability to go out and find that information now if they want. Right, right. Yeah. No, I think that works well. Cool. All right. Next question is from Stephen. Well, it's less a question and more corrections, (laughs) which are uh, appropriate.
0: Okay. So Stephen writes – I've noticed a couple of minor rules things that I think are important. One thing I noticed was that you guys kept on insisting that half orcs get plus one dexterity. They do not. They get plus one constitution. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We completely screwed that up and just decided to leave the episode as it was. (laughs)
1: I think it was already posted when we noticed it. Yeah. And we're uh, like, ugh. So the parts where we're like, ah, they're so graceful, just swap in the information we said in the dwarf episode because you're going strength con, right? (laughs) I... I think I probably was the one who screwed that up in the first place because you
0: absolutely, were. you wrote that episode, <laughs> I'm breaking
1: K fame. You edited it. I'm <laughs> okay. breaking K fame. I looked at that when we were recording it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Why haven't I been playing more? It's because orcs? it uh, in fourth edition they were strength decks, and I think okay. there so aren't you know, any. There aren't any strength decks. Races, right? right? I now. hope that Steven fact-checks you and you're wrong again. And then we get another email <laughs> that's like, shut
0: up, Ishan. You don't know half works."
1: <laughs> we get a lot of those emails all the time. Yeah. Just basically shut up, Ishan. Yeah. I get a lot of private DMs on Twitter. From me? <laughs> and my mom. <laughs> and your mom. <laughs> Great.
0: Oh, dear. Okay. Uh, Stephen continues. Another thing I just noticed in episode 81 is that you say that you do not need attribute requirements when multiclassing out of a class. The example I'm thinking of is you say if you start rogue, you don't need the 13 dexterity. This is untrue. You need those statistic requirements whether you are going into or out of a class. Uh, Stephen is also correct here. Uh Uh-huh. Which now that I think about these implications... What happens when you get polymorphed into a form that doesn't meet the requirements? Do you lose those abilities because you're supposed to retain them, or a uh, like a like a druid, a multi-class uh, druid?
1: So, three point five had a clause that said if you no longer meet the requirements for a feat or a class feature, you lose that feat or class feature. I do not believe Fifth Edition has that stipulation.
0: So it's just a it's just a checkpoint when you level up. I believe
1: so. Beautiful.
0: So don't <laughs> level up while while it be shaped while polymorphed. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Stephen is correct. Uh, you do need those requirements both
1: directions. Uh, we have screwed that up in our relentless efforts to min-max. Yes. Uh, so something to consider is that if you are choosing a first-level class, but you do not meet the requirements for multiclassing, you are stuck in that class forever. Well, potentially forever. It's possible that you have uh min-ed your primary you, stats so low that no matter max. how many ASIs, you can't get out of it. <laughs> That's that's a fate worse than death. <laughs> I will say the vast majority of our 5e games eliminate the multi-class uh, attribute requirement, and we haven't had any problems. Um, I think it unfairly penalizes paladins and monks. Yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't make a huge difference. Um, it makes it hard when you're trying to reflavor a class. That That's true. Um, the problem that you
0: run into with things that are key to those abilities is that a lot of times... you you can't go negative on your uses, right? So it's things like...
1: uh, We have a minimum one. Yeah, everything is like minimum one. Fine, Which makes it not worth taking often. (laughs) So I don't know, it's just silly. Yeah, I could see like removing attribute requirements making it easier to fall into a trap build that doesn't really work well for any player. Right.
0: Um, But yeah, fair criticism.
1: Well earned. Maybe we'll introduce a corrections section. I, I, no, no. <laughs> that would be all. That would be an entire episode's worth no, every
0: episode. I, I'm like a goldfish. As soon as it posts, I forget it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is uh, our next email from Tim. Uh, Different not, Tim. Not the same yeah. Tim. How strictly do you adhere to D&D's initiative rules? Have you run into situations where they don't model the story well? And if so, how have you dealt with that? For example, how do you model the deadliness of a hostage situation or a crossbow aimed at a character's back using standard initiative?
1: Well, first off, there is nobody in the entire world who strictly adheres to D&D's initiative rules because they rarely make sense all of the time. Yeah, that's (laughs) probably true. That said, I think 5e does a pretty good job Of it, so if you do try to play it by the book, for the most part, you should be okay. I I will say, so
0: you made that flippant joke, and that's fair. Um, The reason why is because D and D has this weird idea that you will like declare that you are in a combat encounter now, Mm -hmm. and everyone will roll initiative, and then we'll start like treating things like rounds. And to the example that Tim used, right, is at what point do you declare it combat? Right, at what point is this narrative action? that's taking place uh within a scene versus within structured combat rounds right like when do you go into that structured time um, and i think that's sort of the question that drives the D D challenge
1: i think yeah people get tripped up when you're right at that point in which you're making the switch mm-hmm. right like surprise rounds or like in in this situation obviously it's if we're if we were modeling according to the rules someone has a crossbow at a hostage's back they've essentially readied an action to shoot shoot the hostage right right but i think the issue is not so much with the initiative rules right the story you're trying to tell is if the players do something that this person doesn't like this hostage is going to die right that that scenario does not need to happen within the strictures of combat like if the bad guy the npc that the gm is controlling has a crossbow to an npc another npc's back they shouldn't have to roll to hit they shouldn't roll damage mm-hmm. right it's just if you the pc's do the trigger that makes that person shoot the hostage dies right like you just narrate that the hostage dies you could be in rounds and the players are you know they're operating at different initiatives and they're making attack rolls and saving throws and all of that but just the hostage dies
0: right to get back to the original question of how strictly do it do we adhere uh i would say only when it's convenient for the story <laughs> <laughs> um you know if if we have a fight that we know is coming and that we're you know everyone is planning on having this fight then yeah we roll initiative up front and we sort out our action economy in that order um i'm thinking of a lot of rogue trader situations where we're mid negotiation and you could be drawing guns at any time (laughs) that's
1: why we all take quick draw right (laughs) um
0: and, and in those situations right a lot of times it's like okay well now we're gonna do stuff right and um or like in the hostage situation you mentioned um it could totally just be like you know do i have a chance to intervene or is it impossible for me to beat him drawing the trigger Right.
1: And it's fine in that situation if you have players who then say, but wait, wait, like, I should have been able to do this, or I have this ability that allows me to do something else or to intervene. Yep. And it's also fair for the GM to go,
0: you're too far away. Right. Or, like, he won't let you get close enough that that could happen. Like, you know, it's just, if you do something, he's going to die. Right. That's what's going to happen.
1: Or, or to go, oh,
0: that's a good point. I didn't think of that. Yeah, you intervene. Right. Um, I think when there are when there are questions of the order of action, right, um, it's always best to try and find some mechanics that make sense. And I think the further afield you get from true initiative, the more lenient you need to be. And I think this is probably, like, um, allow some bargaining on the skills, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, uh, like I like Star Wars. The Fantasy Flight Star Wars has their their two kinds of initiative. Like, there's the cool... Oh, right. And then vigilance. Vigilance, yeah. right? Which is one is, like, you're paying attention, and the other is just... You're too slick to miss. <laughs> uh, so I could totally see the same thing where you could like, oh, but I'm I'm smart. I would have anticipated this. Let me try intelligence to beat his
1: dexterity to go first. Mm-hmm. Right, something like that. Uh, another thing you can have in your back pocket. Remember in 5e specifically, it is the GM who determines who is surprised at the beginning of combat. Right. So make your decision. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can't do anything. You can't do anything and you can't do anything because you're all surprised.
0: Right. Uh, that's also something we do. A decent amount with D D is that we actually start initiative with readied actions um like like we'll as players we'll try and lay traps a lot um and so we're we're like getting into position to spring the trap
1: oh right? yeah i mean we try to have ambushes as often as possible right. well, we're playing dark sun right now in <laughs> D, <D&D>, so like <laughs> we, we need every
0: every bit of help we can get <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> often we end up getting scouted anyway <laughs> yeah turnabout is fair play don't be too tactical or good at setting ambushes because your GM will learn from you right <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I think the general takeaway right is
0: uh, is initiative is a tool to structure the story Not, it's not meant to really um, restrict player action um, when you have cool things that could be going on
1: right and it certainly doesn't need to restrict NPC action because you are the one that controls that oh right all right these next questions come from matt parodi friend of the show and uh difficult question asker <laughs> these are the hardest questions we get. he's like oh cool I'll, <laughs> I'll send my questions at the last minute and they'll all be stumpers all right well this one's definitely for you because i know nothing about video games matt says this might be on the edge of your wheelhouse but if the character creation forge was in charge of a new overwatch character what would you make uh, first of all I would make us play fourth edition
0: because fourth edition much better maps the archetypes that make sense in overwatch
1: you are a cruel cruel GM I yeah well I mean I'm not going to make a character for, with fourth edition because that would take forever I'm sure I have an old one I can go. up <laughs>
0: um, anyway so uh, similar to the fourth edition archetypes of you know tank and defender striker controller leader there you go um Overwatch has a similar sort of uh DPS, tank, uh defender and support. Uh d- defense heroes are are like more about area control. Oh okay. They're like snipers and that sort of thing. Um so anyway, within Overwatch, I would say that one of the gaps is a support character who has uh control abilities. Like oh. uh, area control abilities. Okay. I'm feeling cleric. Yeah, maybe something like that. It's it's tough to model. Uh, Overwatch also is based on MOBA, like, so you're, the idea of ultimates.
1: I don't understand your acronym. Uh, I assume
0: it's, a, it's an acronym. A different type of video game. Okay. Um, but as you do things throughout the game, you charge a meter that gives you an ultimate ability that has a huge impact on the game. Oh,
1: it's Dragon Ball Z. Okay.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the game is very much about how you use and manage and build and team up and counter your opponent's alts did you say did you say alts
1: alts u-l-t alts alts oh okay yeah like alt right and no, no that's alt <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm from georgia i'm trying i'm trying i would you should always counter an, an alt right okay <laughs> as often as you can
0: anyway i would go for a uh a more kind of controlly uh sort of support or something i don't know whatever I don't know how that would fit Control into support. Yeah. Uh, but I did build Pharah, uh one of the DPS characters. Faucet? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Kokra, Dragon Sorcerer with Elemental Adept and Spell Sniper. There you go. Redundant wings, man. Yeah, I know, but not to level 14. Cool. At okay. level 6, you have all of Pharaoh's abilities. You oh. get Firebolt and uh, Scorching Ray are your rockets. Thunder Wave is your Repelling Blast and fireball
1: i guess is your ultimate your uh barrage fireball is pretty ultimate actually yeah, yeah. It's pretty so, sweet there you go um did you say snipers are like controllers okay let's 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 just cut that question <laughs> <laughs> no it's good <laughs> Sorry, it's Matt. good there are there are people who listen who play video games i'm just not one of them but i'm also not a listener that's i never i never true. listen to the show <laughs> all right ishan what IP do you think needs an actual play? Okay, I think we have a consensus, right? Like we agreed. On firefly? This. Yeah, firefly. absolutely firefly. Yeah, we need Firefly. Of course. I I don't know of any. If there are some, let us know so we can listen to them. Also, ideally not using the Margaret Weiss Firefly rules. Yeah, either one of them. Yeah. Yeah, no no cortex. Yeah. Um, I will also throw in Star Trek. I don't think enough people play Star Trek RPGs. I have literally never played a Star Trek RPG. That's because they suck and Star Trek is dumb. Ooh, you're half right.
0: Nobody cares about Luke Skywalker or Darth (laughs) Vader. Star Trek is dumb.
1: Again, you're half right. (laughs) And the three-parter from Matt. If one wanted to run a game in the universe of Saga Comics, which rules systems do you think would be the best? Oh,
0: yeah, that's definitely Gamma World 7th Edition or second option uh the original werewolf from uh white wolf games wow you really thought about this i don't know anything about saga (laughs) i have no clue if that's
1: true is that right uh it is uh woke star wars Uh, okay yeah (laughs) i don't know what that means it's it's a space opera like fantasy where there's like magic and it centers around this like interspecies family that's like running from racists essentially okay it's a graphic right. novel okay yeah okay cool um well gamma world might work <laughs> yeah no i think gamma <laughs> world would work great um i will probably less so uh, i mean any, anything that's sort of like powered by the apocalypse i think because saga is much more about uh the interactions of characters and like how they respond to each other than it is about particular power sets mm. uh, fate i think would be perfectly fine so wouldn't cortex actually work for that but I don't want to play Cortex. Oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> or Savage Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think that Fantasy Flight's Edge of the Empire would work here. Um, the magic is relatively low level, and the fact that you never really totally succeed and never really totally fail works with the kinds of stories that you'd be telling in a saga setting, I think
0: great i will take that at face value <laughs> all right
1: so there you go matt are you happy
0: <laughs> uh you tried to stump us all right our final uh, set of questions i guess our final email of the day uh this is from cameron not our cameron our cameron why don't you ever email us yeah he never emails he never yeah. even rsvps
1: Ugh. it makes us sad
0: all right uh first question how would you go about statting an athasian dragon in 5e that's a dragon from athas dark sun would a reskinned ancient dragon with some spellcasting abilities and a few buffs work or are there other things to take into account this is such a good question yeah so athasian (sighs) dragons were prestige classes and epic destinies and those sorts of things from prior editions
1: right in the fiction however it is wrong to say athasian dragons because yeah, there is one. Yes. His name is Boris. <laughs> he's literally the Boris. The dragon. The dragon of Tear is his name. Um, so all of the sorcerer kings who are defilers, right? They use arcane magic they, to draw in extra power from the world and life around them um, and then use that to fuel their magic. That is slowly turning them into dragon-like creatures. Um, but they're not really dragons. The only one who's sort of completed his apotheosis and turned into an actual dragon is is boris and he went insane when he did it yeah he's almost like too powerful to really be an NPC. i i believe in fourth edition he was cr30 the same as the tarrasque uh he is canonically the the strongest thing in the setting right you know i mean unless what's his name gets released from his prison but even then i he's he's sort of like a plot device honestly right, right. um if I was going to stat, you know, the strongest thing in the setting, you just sort of take the strongest thing in the setting and give it abilities that it needs to match the fiction. So, and, Well, conveniently, the strongest thing in 5th edition is not
0: strong enough. So <laughs> <laughs> so we can start with the Tarrasque. There you go. And then what are we going to add to it? Uh,
1: wings. Okay. We need some wings. Flying Tarrasque. Mm-hmm. Um, And then spellcasting. Lots of spellcasting. Yeah. So there is an option uh, for high-level dragons in the Monster Manual to give them spellcasting abilities. I think it is one spell from any level equal to their charisma modifier. Mm -hmm. I think it is. Go ahead and do that. And you don't necessarily have to stat it off charisma. It could be intelligence or wisdom because um, Boris is also a high-level psionicist.
0: Yeah, I think you could... Literally, just take the whole dragon ability section and just paste it into the Tarasque and be fine,
1: yeah. And then I i would choose, I mean, his charisma or intelligence is probably what like 26, maybe even higher than that, yeah. Um, so you're looking at eight or nine spells, most of them are going to be high level, um. And then I would also layer on top of that psionic versions of the same thing. So give them another eight or nine spells, but they don't require components to cast.
0: Yeah, I don't know how much components really ever make a
1: difference for an for an NPC villain like that. But it does give your players the opportunity to figure out, oh, he's he's like using psionics, which means he can't defile when he does that.
0: Right, yeah, that's that's basically what it is. You're giving him two sets of spellcasting. One of them defiles constantly, right. and the other does not.
1: The thing I would probably do is when he casts like a high-level arcane spell, and he may only have high-level arcane spells, yeah. uh, just automatically have him cast, like not even cast, like a circle of death goes off. Right. In, in his radius and that's his defiling.
0: Yeah I like the idea of him having like 5th or 6th level spells like basically at will. Yeah. And then the regular sort of limitations on higher than that.
1: Right and if that sounds crazy I mean honestly a 20th level party would rather have a 5th level spell chucked at them than deal with a full round of attacks from a CR 30 dragon. Yeah for sure. <laughs> Slash tarasque
0: And and it's like you've got to role play this too right?
1: He's, he's insane. He's not a tactician. Mm-hmm. Like
0: it, it's going to be brute force to get what he wants
1: right and you know if he starts getting hurt great he flies a mile in the air and bombards you right or falls (laughs) 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 I bet he could take that damage better than you can if this sounds like it's totally overkill believe me level 20 parties in 5th edition D&D can easily handle a CR 30 creature yeah yeah so you really got to buff them up especially if you have any kind of magic items and also, if you're going against an Aethasian Dragon, you
0: have a pretty good expectation that you're not coming out the other side intact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This should be a, a battle that even if you win, you're you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. If you do want to stat the Sorcerer Kings who are on their way to becoming Aethasian Dragons, I think essentially high-level spellcasters work perfectly fine. Yeah, or high-level dragons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Actually, you would need to tone down their physical stats. So maybe like a one of the weaker dragons, yeah. white or b- bronze. Yeah,
0: yeah. I would maybe take the physical stats of a of a younger dragon. Yeah,
1: like a young adult. Yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. And then slap on some spellcasting. Maybe mix them with the archmage NPC. Right.
0: Um, or, I guess you could buff up the illithids as well.
1: Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, depending on kind of what level you want them going after, sorcerer kings.
1: I mean, now we have higher-level illithids out of uh, Volo's Guide. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that would
0: be... Especially the undead one, I think, would work really well.
1: And be super creepy. Yeah. All right, and Cameron has one more question. With the Warhammer Fantasy RPG line being picked up by Cubicle 7 for a fourth edition, heavily inspired mechanically by the original and second edition, what do you think the odds are of the 40K games getting similar treatment? Could we really get Rogue Trader second edition?
0: So I got to be honest, I don't know anything about Cubicle 7's games. I mean, I know that they print the One Ring RPG, and I know that people play the One Ring RPG. I just don't know anything about it mechanically. So I'll take it at face value that they're pretty good from a game design perspective. And if they're going to do that, if they're going to bring in some of those original second edition designers, like I'm, I'm sure they can get Rob Schwab or uh, Chris Premis to work on it. Um, I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, They definitely do a great job from a production value standpoint, which is something that Fantasy Flight also paid a lot of attention to.
1: I mean, we really hope that we're getting a second edition Rogue Trader because you're still cobbling it together from the first edition. I am actually,
0: I would be okay if we never got a second edition Rogue Trader. Really? Uh, I mean, I would like to, don't get me wrong, because I like collecting new things and that's fine. But um, I am comfortable with where we are using Dark Heresy for Rogue Trader. Like I'm fine homebrewing like one step ahead of you guys. Uh, it, it makes a, oh, a little you more. You don't fun want for me. us
1: reading through the book and going, hmm, here's
0: how we can win. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't wanna have to I don't wanna have to get system mastery ahead of six of you <laughs> in, in a Warhammer forty K game. <laughs> <laughs> um that said, I I was curious that fantasy got picked up first. I suspect that's because it was a lot cheaper and Games Workshop is looking for uh, a higher cost for the 40k license that said they if you've paid attention to the tabletop which since you're asking about it you maybe do um you know that they're releasing a new edition that's supposed to appeal more to longer term 40k fans rather than the sort of drop 200 get disappointed and quit crowd that they've cycled through for a long time uh, so hopefully the role playing line comes into the fold with the new edition of forty k and there's some valuable interaction there and and somehow somebody can maximize that
1: if uh one of our listeners wants to sponsor us maybe do a little v c investment uh we will happily buy the license yeah i don't i i bet that's probably like
0: what do you i what do you think forty
1: forty k a year that's exactly what i was thinking. <laughs> we can pass the hat for that right (laughs) it's got to be a very big hat yeah (laughs) a hat of
0: holding (laughs) we're gonna need a bigger hat (laughs) but yeah i mean i i would love to see the 40k line active uh, if nothing else because i enjoy collecting them and i enjoy reading anything in 40k fiction because i've never grown up past 14
1: that's true I will say that the Fantasy Flight books have set a pretty high bar in terms of the quality of the fiction and the illustration. Um, And, you know, a somewhat high bar in terms of the game design and the book construction. (laughs) They could be streamlined, uh,
0: for sure. There There are definitely subsystems that are too complicated for what they offer to the game.
1: Yeah, but they really are beautiful books. Yeah. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? I'm furiously sewing a much bigger hat. (laughs) Well, then, let's... Clicking thimbles. (laughs) <laughs> then we're going to need a head to put it on.
0: Let's move <laughs> on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N
1: dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at
0: www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com.
1: We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill.
0: So, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Baron Munchausen, which was suggested to us by listener David.
1: So, there are many different versions of the Baron. Uh, He was originally based on an 18th century German aristocrat. Uh, Shane, will you please pronounce his name in your fine German accent? My highly questionable German accent. (laughs) Hieronymus Carl Friedrich, Freiherr von Munchausen. It's very nice. Thank you, Wikipedia, for telling us how to pronounce things.
0: I I mean, I kind of knew how to pronounce those. (laughs) I also didn't pronounce his last name correctly. It's (laughs) Mnch.
1: Also, and this is probably mm, stereotypical on my part, I did not know that you spoke any German. I just assumed. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I mean, my mother was born in Germany, so... I just assumed. (laughs) White people, am I right? (laughs) All right. So the the real life Baron was known for embellishing stories of his own bravery, Uh, but it was a 1785 book that catapulted the fictional version of the Baron into the collective imagination. And in the 20th century, we got like a dozen film or television adaptations of the character. The best known of which is, of course, Terry Gilliam's 1988 film, which we're basically using to base this build on.
0: Yeah, so one challenge with this is that he doesn't really have many concrete feats. Uh, he's got a lot of these, like, fantastic abilities that actually come from his companions and the the people who he associates with. Right,
1: but the Baron is a masterful storyteller and a world-class casanova Uh, is
0: that true i mean or is he just telling the story of how good of a casanova he is
1: (laughs) who knows (laughs) uh fun fact the real casanova was a contemporary of the real baron oh they lived at the same time in europe wow (laughs) interesting so do you think the real life casanova was like i'm a real munchausen (laughs) apparently in germany he's still called the baron of lies oh there you go (laughs) in german though i don't know what that is but i'm sure you do i don't (laughs) all right what's the build it is Swashbuckler Rogue 11, Valor Bard 6, Storm Sorcerer 3.
0: Okay, so Rogue is going to get us four expertises, which I'm confident will be include Persuasion and Deception.
1: Yeah, I also like acrobatics because the Baron is a wonderful dancer, and I feel like that's probably the skill that is most most closely emulates dancing. Yeah, I like performance as well. Oh, we should definitely. Yeah, that's that's your fourth one. That's the storytelling. Definitely performance. You get the rogue goodies, cunning action, uncanny dodge, evasion. And I think what really sort of makes the character is at level 11, reliable talent, which means all of those great skills that you have consistently are getting at least a 10 on the die. Yep. Like the Baron doesn't screw things up. Right. (laughs) He's (laughs) very consistent in his tales.
0: Uh, and then Swashbuckler gives you Panache, which allows you to
1: make a persuasion check in order to charm a creature at will. Mm-hmm. And you can also, you know, if they're hostile, make them focus on you, but why would the Baron bother with that? Why would he get in a fight? Right. Valorbard lets him make inspirational speeches uh, and uh, push his allies to better combat capabilities. We're also going to get two more expertises, you know, throw them on what you like. And of course, extra attack. Because remember, the Baron, his background is a soldier. He, mm-hmm. it, it, all, most of his exploits came from, you know, fighting in wars. Right. Yeah, I think he's a knight in order to become a Baron, right? I think in those days, people just sort of, like, called themselves whatever. (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure that's not true. I'm pretty sure it's the exact opposite of that. I think in Germany, you called yourself whatever, because Germany wasn't a country. No. uh, It was, like, many small duchies. Yeah, but also, I don't believe you. Like, Duke Igthorne, I think, from the Gummy Bears, is probably a German bear. (laughs) Okay, right. (laughs) Anyway, Valor Bard has extra
0: attack, and reflavored spells will get you a lot of his uh, tall tale kind of abilities, and also help um, make those stories uh, punch up
1: a little bit. Yeah, and even like literally real, maybe an illusion or Mm. so. Yeah. Oh, I like the idea that he illustrates his stories with his illusions. I I do like that. I mean, in the movies, we basically see that happening. It is maybe it's because he's casting an illusion of his story. Yeah, that's called movie magic. Yes, there we go. Movie magic. <laughs> right. Sorcerer... Um, I mean, Storm Sorcerer allows you to be kind of light on your feet. Uh, a lot of the Baron's actual sort of amazing superhuman abilities are, are where he like appears to like way less than he normally does. I have a feeling that a lot of that ends up being like a quickened levitate or spider climb because the only two things that he really does where you're like, oh, well, that's impossible are when he rides the cannonball. Yeah. Which I think is just a very good acrobatic check followed by a quick and spider climb to stick to the cannonball. All right. (laughs) And when he pulls himself um, up by his own ponytail, which (laughs) is obviously just simply a levitate. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you would like to play an entire party of Baron Munchausen you can stat his companions pretty easily Albrecht who has so much superhuman strength that he can lift uh, the entire Sultan's treasury in one sack yeah so that's a uh, Goliath or for bulk, barbarian yeah maybe a fighter Berthold is a very fast man that's just our flash build oh I should have put that in my party oh you totally should have Yeah. No, also the flash, the flash is American I got dibs <laughs>
0: Uh, There's Gustavus, the halfling, gnome, or dwarf short guy uh, with gust of wind.
1: I like the idea that, you know, as he levels up, he learns more wind-based abilities, maybe like um, wind wall, eventually whirlwind, things like that. Yeah, I mean, that makes
0: sense for a storm sorcerer too. Yeah. A a full storm sorcerer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Adolphus is simply a sharpshooter. Excellent eyesight, can't miss.
0: Alright, moving right along. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a 5-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we'll read your 5-star review on the air.
1: You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithms will help other people find us.
0: Alright, this next review comes with a warning. One, it involves us plying our musical talents, which are limited. <laughs> uh, and two this is the likely last musical review we'll ever do. We will politely decline to read any others that are song lyrics. Um, uh, but this one comes from James Intracasso of the don't split the podcast network, uh, the world builder blog and the tabletop babble podcast,
1: uh, the any winning James Intricasso. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I've held as any, he let me hold as any. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It
0: was heavy. well, listeners uh you can hate him for all of that and more (laughs) just as soon as we get done with this review
1: you can't hate him as much as we do though no that's definitely true
0: james we're gonna square up at gen con
1: (laughs) we know where you will be sleeping yeah true (laughs) are we recording now yep oh am i supposed to talk over this doesn't matter it's not great Well, this is a story all about how my game got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit and chill, to tell you all about a podcast called Total Party Thrill.
0: In nerddom and geekdom, born and raised, round the table is where I spend most of my days. Mapping out, planning, DMing, all cool and all critting my PCs because 'cause I'm not a fool. Venetian and Shane, they were up to some good. Started bringing ideas into my neighborhood. I got in one little cast and my brain got chills and said,
1: "You're to this podcast? Go to the party, thrill." I
0: listened to each week and when it became clear, this cast is going to put my game in high gear. If anything, I could say their advice is rare, so I thought, don't forget it and tweet and share
1: players flock to my house to play all my games and they yell to the others your homes we love james now my dming is finally chill thanks to the cast. total Body thrill. so let's never do that again uh yeah okay so what do we have planned for next week's episode uh we're talking
0: about intercession communication that sounds incredibly dull, but I'm sure we'll punch it up a little bit. fascinating. All right, what do we have planned for the Character Creation Forge? Appropriately, we're building the Intercessor. Now that that sounds intriguing. But that's it for episode 100 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. All right, we're recording again.
1: Are we really? Yeah. I'm recording. It's right. It's recording right now. I miss the Athasian dragons. I feel like that was a missed opportunity. How do you make an Athasian dragon? You start with a, an S and then a more different S and then the consummate V's. And then you add like a bigger, beefy arm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: My name is Boris. <laughs>
1: and then you add a cool name like Boris. <laughs> <laughs> Boris the Burninator. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What are you talking This is why we stopped drinking When we recorded
1: Boris (laughs) (laughs) Boris was a man He was A dragon man Maybe he was just A dragon But he was still Boris Am
0: I going to get a call from Kathleen when you get home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, what maybe. Did, what did you do did to you? <laughs> like,
1: Why? <laughs> it's all undone. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I, I just multiclassed from bard to barbarian. That's uh, all that happened. Bard uh, to barbarian.
0: The idea that you had bard before <laughs> is highly questionable. <laughs> right, before. that I was charisma
1: primary. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: You definitely didn't have performance.
1: <laughs> or dexterity. <laughs> yeah. Or strength, let's be honest. Uh, what's your con like? You've oh, been, con, you've been con's, pretty a while. Yeah. con's pretty yeah. good. Con's pretty good. Low strength, high con. Well, you've got that Asian dex. constitution
0: where you never get drunk, right? No, I get drunk. <laughs> well, that's a good
1: point. Look at me now, mom. Well, it's not an 18. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I'm not a mole. I ain't no mole. Ugh. Ain't um, no Steph. High int. I was... Come to Gen Con and judge for yourself. Because <laughs> um, we'll be there, hanging oh. out.
0: God, it's so hot in this room. Hey, that, like, everybody. I'm going to have to shower again before we go out.
1: That's what we should do. We should ask everyone, meet us at Gen Con, and then tell us what our stats are. <laughs>
0: I feel like in a gen con crowd, I'm definitely gonna get eighteen strike, oh fair, right, if you're great <laughs> like, on a curve, like, yeah, but like but if 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 I were judged in by gym, I'd only be at like sixteen or fourteen. I might be able to go for twenty at Gen con, yeah, I'm human maximum, yeah, right, oh, con max, yeah, yeah. I mean cuz like 20 doesn't mean you're the strongest person. It means you're in the class of the strongest yeah, people. Yeah,
1: yeah. They don't break it down to like 18.00. One, zero, zero. Yeah, I wouldn't be 18.00, zero, zero, that's for sure. Cuz you're not a cheater. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, I mean also, like I'm not a professional athlete. <laughs> okay, I think we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. 100 uh i mean not counting all the failed attempts at recording that we're now at 147 oh jesus and that that, that takes out the 12 minutes of attempting to record the fresh prints right which was not real time that was 12 minutes
1: of attempts we were not good at that no no we do not have that as a skill proficiency (laughs) well it was fun though i agree all right thanks james f*** you yeah die in a fire james (laughs)